True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Mazak, Ferrer, Nola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusito, Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on June 30th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. Today on the show, some strong pitching performances, tough players to rank, dynasty trades, Scott and I making some moves out in the Dynasty League. And separately. Yes, separately, for of course. Worth. And Frank, Frank traded all the pieces I was asking for to somebody else. That's right. So. And, and Scott <laughs> traded all the pieces I wanted to... No, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no, I traded different pieces. <laughs> and we will have our Week 15 preview, sleepers, two-star pitchers, all that fun stuff. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We actually have an announcement. Are you ready? I don't. I don't know what it is, so... Breaking news for me, too. Well, it involves you. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. Nobody cleared this with me. No one what cleared it? it with Scott. This is Scott's last show. Oh, uh, what? What? Until July 11th. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just wanted to build up some drama. <laughs> I wasn't like firing you on the podcast. Scott. Wow. <laughs> I don't Man. even have that power. So. <laughs> it's true. Taking a little vacay. We're right at the midway point here. All-star breakup coming, so we don't need to do any week 16 previews until, you know, basically the day of the all-star game because there's, you know, there's a break. 
that prevents it from happening at the end of next week. So yeah, taking a little vacay, going to the beach with the family. Nice. And uh, I'm sure you and Chris and maybe the other Chris will capably hold down the fort while I'm gone. All of the Chris's. And we'll have more information for you next week regarding All-Star Week where we'll have all different kinds of fun programming. We'll have like a MLB draft first round recap. We'll talk about first year player draft rankings, all that fun stuff, prospects. And it's going to be a fun week throughout the All-Star Week. Anyway, let's jump in. Can you believe it? Wow. Wow. Can you believe that hail in Colorado? Did you see any of this, Scott? No, I didn't. Oh, my gosh. So the game was delayed nearly two hours, and it was hailing like crazy. Two feet of hail in both dugouts. It was wild stuff. Players were doing hail angels. It was just, it was crazy stuff. Anyway, let's actually talk about some players. You are up first, Scott. Who would you like to discuss? Man, I would. Sorry, I missed this. I've been, I've been, I've been deep in week 15 planning. And was not hanging out on social media to see. I only know because I've had this game on because it started really late. And so they just kept showing clips of all different kind of crazy stuff from the hailstorm. So, all right. Um, The player I'm going with here is Brian Bayo. I love Brian Bayo. I hope (laughs) I've made that clear in recent weeks because... I could use a win right now in terms of player predictions. And, and hopefully Brian, hopefully I've gotten my win here with Brian Bayo, who I think is kind of a, kind of a poor man's Framber Valdez. And it's getting easier to say that, you know, the, the, the case for him being a Framber Valdez, a poor man's Framber Valdez is, is that he, get, he combines elite ground ball tendencies with still pretty good swing and miss skills, at, at least league average swing and miss skills, which usually when you have a pitcher who is, who is that committed to ground balls, he's not missing a lot of bats, uh, which undermines his upside. So Bayo does this in a way that's similar to Framber Valdez, and uh, he's been getting results for a long time now. He's allowed two earned runs or fewer in 11 straight starts. That was over his last 11 starts. He has a 233 ERA. That 11 start stretch includes this latest one against the, the Marlins on Thursday where he went seven innings, allowed one earned run, just two hits in those seven innings. Five strikeouts, one walk. Very good stat line. Why it's easier to make the case beyond just you know some of the um, some of the the batted ball tendencies that he's becoming from Valdez is is he's suddenly going deeper into his starts. Like I said, seven innings in the start against the Marlins. That was his fifth straight going six innings or more. So eleven straight two earned runs or less. Now. Five straight going six innings or more for, for Brian Bayo. So he's giving you the length now. Not, not quite to the same level of Framber Valdez, but he's trending the right direction. And what was most impressive for Brian Bayo about this start specifically was, was those two hits. As a ground ball pitcher, he tends to give up a lot of hits. You know, ground balls are hits more often than fly balls. Their home runs infinitely less than fly balls, but their hits more often than fly balls. Uh, and, and so, you know, Brian Bayo's whip tends to be a little on the high side because of that, just like Framber Valdez's has always been a little on the high side because of that. So him having a start where he allows two hits is very impressive. And I think there might be a reason for it. He threw his slider only 5% of the time in this start down from like 20%. So just basically faded the slider completely. And that slider 
is the pitch that's largely responsible for the hits. He's, he's, the batting average against on that slider is 341. None of Brian Bayo's other pitches have a higher batting average against than 250. So probably a wise move fading that slider like he did against here against the Marlins. And if he continues it, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a chance he gets even better. It would be hard to believe because, again, Brian Bayo has a 233 ERA, 108 whip, and 8.1K per nine over his past 11 starts. But he did something different in this one that seemed to work. And like I said, keeps going deep into games. And yeah, just everything's looking, everything's trending up for Brian Bayo. He's still available in more than 20% of CBS leagues. So if he's available in yours, make sure to grab him. Yeah, and a little sneak peek for later on when we do our Week 15 preview. Brian Bayou is one of Scott's sleeper pitchers for next week for that exact reason. 77% rostered, could be out there in some shallower leagues, but man, he has just been rock solid for the Boston Red Sox. And uh, we actually had some pitching duels. I'm not going to play the soundbite because I feel like I've been playing it too much recently. Uh, on the other side of that game, Jesus Lazardo also pitched very well. Six shutout innings, three hits, one walk, nine strikeouts with 19 swinging strikes on 99 pitches. 12 of those came on the slider. He only allowed four hard hits and has now allowed just two earned runs total over his past three starts. Again, that's Jesus Lazardo. Scott, anything you wanted to add from this performance for him? Two really good starts in a row. Guy's been missing tons of bats all season. Uh, I've been expecting him to show improvement and uh, hopefully hopefully things are trending that way for Lazardo. Yeah, if you just look at the season-long numbers for him, I know there's been some ups and downs throughout the year, some blow-up starts here and there, but a 3.53 ERA, a 1.15 whip, well over a strikeout per inning, and the underlying numbers pretty much line up with it, a 3.27 FIP. 345 XFIP. So really like what we're seeing from Jesus Lazardo. Oh my goodness gracious for me was actually another pitching duel. Oddly enough, I wanted to just highlight both of these names because one of them has been struggling recently and he pitched really well in Chris Bassett. The other name is Keaton Wynn. Who? Who is that? Well, he actually pitched pretty well. Let's talk about both of these guys. Chris Bassett, six shutout innings with 12 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes going up against the San Francisco Giants. Basically had everything working in the start. Velocity was up on the sinker, the cutter, and the slider for Chris Bassett. In his previous six starts, he had a 6.89 ERA. So we needed to see something. This was a great bounce back performance for Chris Bassett. And the other name on the other side of the game was Keaton Wynn. Uh, six innings of two-run ball with three strikeouts, 10 swinging strikes on 67 pitches. And... Looking into his velocity and his pitch mix, he's kind of an interesting pitcher. He averaged 96.5 miles per hour on his fastball in this start, but he only throws three pitches and his main pitch is a splitter, which he throws you know, 40 to 50% of the time and then mixes in a four seam and a sinker. So doesn't really have a breaking pitch that he uses. Minor league numbers are just kind of mediocre. I don't know. I was just kind of interested by, I guess, the pitch mix and how hard he throws. Anything on either one of these pitchers, Scott? Chris Bassett and uh, Keaton Wynn, two more strong pitching performances. Well, I have quite a bit to say about both of these pitchers, as a matter of fact, because you gave Chris Bassett's very high ERA over his last six starts. Well, if you just look at Chris Bassett's last three starts, an 11.57 ERA and a 2.49 whip. So in the one league where I have... 
Chris Bassett, having suffered through those three starts. You know what I did, Frank? I, I benched a, him for this one. I have a pretty good feeling. <laughs> I benched him for the 12 strikeout, six shutout inning performance against the Giants. So I'm mad at Chris Bassett. It's it's like Domingo Herman all over again because, you know, the two starts prior to his no-hitter were like the worst he's ever had. And so uh, I, I dumped him everywhere I had him, which I think was only a league or two, but still um, missed out on the good stuff. That's always frustrating. And and I think the problem for Chris Bassett, who's been like if you're just if you're just like giving him a pass fail grade for all of his starts, way more passes than fails, but the fails have been really ugly. Um and and I think the problem for him is it's sort of a U Darvish situation where he has eight pitches. And when you have that many pitches finding the right mix from game to game, I, I imagine is a challenge. And he had a different mix in this game than he usually does. You know, he threw a few more fastballs, a few more curveballs, fewer cutters, fewer sweepers, and got a good result out of it. But it's just just hard to have the right feel for all of those pitches every time out. It's kind of a trial and error thing. I would imagine. I've never pitched before. (laughs) But eight pitches is a lot to work with for Chris Bassett. Um, I, I don't know what actionable there is to give there. I think in the long run, he's he's going to end up with more passes than fails. And so I don't know that this is like an opportunity to sell him before he collapses. I don't think that's happening with Chris Bassett. But if you're just kind of tired of the headache, now's a better time to move him than after his last start. Are you starting him at the White Sox next week? I guess that's yeah, the I, actionable I, I, call. I think so. And, and hopefully, okay. <laughs> hopefully I don't get more of the bad <laughs> after missing the one good in a, in, a, in a whole stretch of bad. All right, so Chris, that's Chris Bassett. The other one here, Keaton Wynn. Interesting pitch mix, like you said, and, and the Giants are an interesting organization who tend to make something out of nothing pretty often. Uh, you mentioned the minor league numbers being so-so for... I, I think that's being pretty generous for Keaton Wynn. Minor league numbers are pretty awful, but his final three starts at AAA... All of them were just four innings, but he had a 0.75 ERA and 18 strikeouts in 12 innings. So it seemed like he figured something out just prior to his promotion. And now since coming up, he's delivered two out of out of four chances, two pretty good outings. I, I, I don't think the first three were actual starts. He was working as a bulk reliever, but you no, know, it's kind of interesting. I'm... I, 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 if, if you're just ranking available pitchers that I would add off the waiver wire, Keaton wins pretty low, but I'm keeping an eye on him. Yeah, this is a deep league specialty. If you just have a dead roster spot and take a shot on Keaton win, let's see where it goes again. It's an interesting pitch mix in an interesting organization with the San Francisco Giants. Oh my goodness gracious, offense of the night. I guess technically I can highlight too because this Dodger game is still going on and they are destroying the Rockies, but... Uh, We'll wait for that game to go final. The Astros, they put up 14 runs on 18 hits against the Cardinals. Alex Bregman went three for five with his 12th home run, a grand slam off a position player. That's right. Get your numbers. I don't care how you get them, as long as you get them. Uh, He's heating up recently. Good to see that. Kyle Tucker went two for three with his 11th homer. He added five RBI. And in the month of June, Kyle Tucker batting 316 with four homers, seven steals, and a 915 OPS. 
The last name to highlight here, Yiner Diaz, who went three for six with two doubles and an RBI. We spoke about him recently. Know that he did some great things in the minors last season. Scott, do you think that they find a place for Diaz to play when Yordan Alvarez is back? It sounds like anywhere from two to four weeks away on Yordan Alvarez, hopefully post-All-Star break. We see him soon after that. But Yiner Diaz is hitting so well, it's, what are they going to do? Are they going to put Alvarez in the outfields? Can they play Diaz at first base a little bit? It's tough to see. It is. I don't think he would play catcher because I. it seems like Dustin, Dustin, Dusty Baker really values Martin Maldonado's defense behind the plate. I mean, the guy is, hasn't hit in year. I mean, he's really never hit ever, but has been especially bad in recent years, and he continues to get the starts back there. Uh, also, Dusty Baker is an old-school manager with old-school sensibilities, and, and that makes it a little hard to think along with them because we're used to new-school managers with new-school sensibilities. So, you know, I don't have a great read on what he's going to do. It seems like the past couple of years, the Astros, Baker specifically, has been more comfortable playing Jordan Alvarez in left field than we've seen before. So that might free up some bats for at bats for Yiner Diaz at DH, but probably not as regularly as he's playing right now. And so I think he's going to be worth rostering in two catcher leagues still. Mm-hmm but I doubt he's going to crack the one-catcher threshold. Speaking of two-catcher leagues, I assume both of these names are already rostered in leagues that deep, but let's just say you have a decision to make, Scott. Would you rather have Yiner Diaz or Patrick Bailey, who just keeps on hitting? He's batting 400 over his last seven games. I think I'm going to say Bailey. I like Diaz's skill set more, but the playing time issue is not insignificant. Yep. No, I was. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. I think if we had more assurance that Diaz had a spot and was going to play as much, I would. I would say him. But Patrick Bailey, look to his credit. Again, he's hitting really well and seemingly playing almost every day for the Giants as well. Let's move into Shane Bieber's start, Scott. I just wanted to quickly highlight a few things that I thought he did well here. I know we've been really hard on Shane Bieber this season. He got back on track. Strong start at the Royals. Yes, I know. It's the Royals, so it's a great matchup, obviously. Six shutout innings, two hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 81 pitches. He allowed just three hard hits, and the velocity was up about half a mile per hour on each of the fastball, the cutter, and the slider. Something else I've noticed recently, Shane Bieber has 12 or more swinging strikes in three of his past four starts. With everything we've said this season, he still has a 348 ERA and a 119 whip. The problem has been he's not missing as many bats and he gives up a lot of hard contact. But as I pointed out, Scott, in this start specifically, only three hard hits and he's getting more whiffs recently. Are you maybe gaining a little bit more confidence in Shane Bieber and uh, at least in the whiffs recently? I don't know that I'd say that. Because, you know, it's easy to paint a nice picture after he has a great start where he gives up two hits in six innings. His previous two starts, he gave up a combined nine earned runs in 12 and a third innings. I have his previous eight starts before this got 484 ERA and a 137 whip. Yeah, there was there was one particularly brutal start that that maybe inflates those numbers a bit. But just that's why I was focused on just the two prior to this one were not good. They were two of Bieber's worst starts of the year. I like that he's. Getting more whiffs, that, that's going to help. And 
even through a lot of these bad starts, he's gone six innings or more. So you're not, it's not hurting you as much in points leagues, especially. It's, he's, he's, it, it's sort of like, it's, it's sort of like Aaron Nola, where, you, you know, you look at the ERA, ugh, it's, it's even worse than Shane Bieber's, but you look at the point total and okay, he's, he's putting up points because he's, he's still a workhorse. Uh, and I've said for Aaron Nola, when he got off to a bad start and the whiffs were down and the velocity was down, I, I just kind of trusted him to figure it out. And it's sort of the same situation. The whiffs have improved, but the results, we haven't really seen improvement there. Uh, I, I still think the warning signs for Bieber are more glaring and require a, require a more extensive reinvention than, than like for Aaron Nola. But they, they do seem like pitchers on similar kind of similar paths right now. Bieber scares me more than Nola, but they're both still they're both still kind of gutting it out in a way that makes them worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And we will talk about Aaron Nola in just a bit when we discuss a few players that are at least tough for me to rank. I guess we can get your thoughts, Cod, and see if you feel the same way. But Aaron Nola, for me, he's He's pretty tough to rank right now because I want to have faith that he's going to get back on track. But here we are, smack daddy, middle of the season, and Aaron Nola has an ERA in the mid-fours. So it obviously has been a letdown. Let's take our first break, and when we return, waiver wire pitchers, waiver wire hitters, and again, some tough players to rank right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Welcome back and a quick reminder to sign up for our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. It's free. You go to cbssports.com slash newsletters. You click on that FBT logo. You punch in your email. It's easy as that. It's sent to you every weekday with all different kinds of news and notes and anecdotes and articles from the website. Uh, And again, it's free. So why not sign up? If you're watching live on YouTube, scan the QR code that will take you right to the website where you can sign up for the FBT newsletter. Let's talk about some waiver wire pitchers here, Scott, and two names in particular that stood out on Thursday. JP France had a strong start at the Cardinals, seven shutout innings with two strikeouts. He did allow 11 hard hits in this game. Uh, Velocity on his cutter and his curveball were up. So that was uh, the good. Again, the bad was that he allowed as much hard contact as he did. Say what you will, uh, we're looking at J.P. France at this point in the season, a 3-1-3 ERA, a 121 whip. He's pitched pretty well for the Astros and looks like he's on pace for two starts next week. The other name is Kyle Hendricks, 
who has allowed three earned runs or fewer in all seven of his starts. He goes seven innings up against the Phillies, allows three runs with four strikeouts, and he's just kind of getting back to the things that he used to do well. Limiting walks, limiting hard contact. He's not getting whiffs. In fact, he's getting less strikeouts than ever before. But I give him credit. He kind of looks like Kyle Hendricks again. He's 47% rostered. Uh, You can correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but it looks like he's in line for two starts as well. Uh, Who do you like more between J.P. France and Kyle Hendricks? I guess for next week and moving forward. For next week and moving forward, it's Kyle Hendricks. I agree. He... Mostly looks like the Kyle Hendricks who was a as reliable of a fantasy pitcher as there is for about a, I think it was like a seven-year stretch uh, through 2020. And then 2021, 2022, he struggled. Obviously didn't make it all the way through 2022 because he had that torn, I think it was a tendon sheath in his sh- uh, shoulder. Uh, let me confirm that. It was the kind of injury that, and I, I always wonder this about Kyle Hendricks, it was the kind of injury that a pitcher can pitch through for a long time without it being discovered. And I wonder if, you know, since it was basically a year and a half of bad results from Kyle Hendricks before he had surgery, the surgery, I wondered how much the bad results were related to the injury. And now he's come back uh, all this time later. And is looking a lot more like the Kyle Hendricks we saw for the seven-year period who was so reliable in a very unconventional way. Because, you know, it'd be easy to harp on, oh, he's not getting any whiffs. It's not really his game. He's, he's always been a guy who throws 88 miles per hour and is just defies all, defies all uh, standards of evaluation. Which makes him hard to evaluate now. Like, it's, it's hard to know, is this legit? Because everything looks terrible. But, you know, that's Kyle Hendricks. I, I I lean toward trusting it's legit up to a point. You know, I'm not calling him a top 30 starting pitcher or anything, but is he worth rostering versus not worth rostering? He's worth rostering, I would say, Kyle Hendricks, especially with the two-start week. Coming up, JP France has been getting good results lately, but in a way I don't really trust because... Let me give you the numbers here for JP France. If I can find them, I have lost them. Uh, one sec, one sec. JP France. Okay. JP France has thrown five quality starts in June. All five of his June starts, quality starts. And during that time, he's had a 243 ERA, 114 whip. Sounds great, right? 243, 114. 4.9 K per nine. <laughs> He's not Kyle Hendricks. I don't know that he can get away with that. Um, and, and what's strange about it is he, his breaking balls have really good whiff rates. Or I think it's actually, I can't remember if it's breaking balls or off-speed pitches. I think it's the breaking balls. I think it's the slider curveball. And he's just hardly throwing them. He's going with a lot more cutters, a lot more fastballs, really leaning into this uh, inducing weak contact thing. So there may be a better pitcher in there for J.P. France, but this is working for him, so he's rolling with it. I just don't trust it. And uh, I don't, even though he is a two-star pitcher next week, I don't have him among my sleeper pitchers. I was going to say the same things. Like, there's going to be regression at some point for J.P. France. His 
251 BABIP is very low. He actually allows a good amount of hard contact. His 85% strand rate is very high, so he's pitching very well with runners on base. And, you know, sometimes you can luck yourself into that for a while, but usually it kind of evens out. So some regression will be coming for GP France. And I pulled up his pitch mix real quick. And you're right, Scott. The slider gets a 35% whiff rate, changeup 37, curveball 59%. So it is a little yeah, surprising. You got three pitches who get th- with a with a better than a thirty percent whiff rate and one better than fifty. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of strikeout potential that he's just not caring to take advantage of. And, and obviously those are small samples from an unproven pitcher. Who knows if he could sustain them those whiff rates if he did throw those pitches more? But I don't know that JP France is optimized right now, even though he's managed to keep runs off the board and put together this nice quality start streak. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this matters much, but Yanni Chirinos, Scott, he pitched well as a bulk reliever at the Diamondbacks. Six innings of one-run ball with four strikeouts. Anything there with Yanni Chirinos? Uh, Chris and I talked about it last time he started, or maybe it was last time we were talking about Bryce Elder. But, you know, the same reason that Bryce Elder might be legit, that being that he gets very direct downward motion on his sinker without any wobble um, so that it hitters very consistently beat it into the ground. Yanni Chirinos is like that also, just not to the same extent as Bryce Elder. So I, I think that makes him somebody who could exceed our expectations, though I know he got hit pretty hard in his previous start. So Yanni Chirinos isn't there yet, but there there may be something to him. Yeah, no, I hear you because... You would think with a sinker like that, he would get even more ground balls, but it's a 45% ground ball rate for Chirinos, a 6.7% swinging strike rate. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much there. I mean, if nothing else, he he pitches for a really good team, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm really going to chase that. Any interest in these waiver wire hitters? We'll quickly go uh, one by one here. Anthony Volpe, I don't know if he actually is available. He's 77% rostered. Maybe he was dropped in shallower points leagues. He's available in the podcast listeners league, Frank. I finally dropped him, even though you said you'd pick him up if I did. Well, that also was a, that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was around like our Memorial Day content. So uh, things have changed a little bit for uh, good old you, you, Anthony Volpe. You know, I've, I've noticed this you know, because people ask me all the time, when, when a new season starts and we're saying, ah, be patient with this guy. Okay, what point do we not be patient? At what point do we say these trends have gone on long enough that we can't just resort to our priors? And normally I've said about six weeks. You know, and, and, and at times I've extended that more to, okay, the first two months. I'm finding it's a little longer than that, just naturally, just you know, I'm, you're not you're not asking me to create a rule ahead of time, but just the way I'm processing my own teams and the players on them. Naturally, I'm realizing it's actually June. It's actually, you know, we get about midway through June. We're approaching the halfway point in the season, and I start just like I that that's when I really start to buy into what we've been seeing from. Most players, you know, even if it wasn't ones that I I was necessarily buying into based on underlying numbers or whatever, it's just like, "Ah, I'm ready to move on from this guy. You know, (laughs) that that's just, I've noticed that in my own behavior without having to like set a rule for it, you know? 
Yeah, no, I think I mostly kind of feel the same way. I mean, I still have leagues where, look, it's the end of June, and I think I'm holding on to Lance Lynn, who we'll talk about a little bit later on. He's just so frustrating to try and figure out right now. But for Anthony Volpe, he went two for four with a walk and a run scored. He had three hard hit balls, was going up against the Oakland A's pitching staff recently, so obviously that helps. But over his last 14 games, Volpe is batting 349 with one homer, five doubles, and two steals has the strikeout rate down to 24%. Let's say, Scott, I mean, you dropped him in a league. For other people out there, if he was dropped, should you look back into adding Anthony Volpe in case this is the start of something? Well, I can tell you he's among my 10 sleeper hitters for this week. Let's go! If you're looking for a sleeper hitter. I can also tell you it's a really lousy list of sleeper hitters. And I am generally not of the mind that you should pick up one of these sleeper hitters unless... uh, Unless you're, you really just have a hole to fill. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always talking down my sleeper hitters just because, you know, it's, it's the, the whole concept of adding a hitter off the waiver wire for favorable matchups the upcoming week or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's in the long run a losing proposition. You're better off just starting the good players you already have. But, but Yankees do have good matchups next week. Anthony Volpe has been. Hitting well of late. And he has a lot of upside. Like, from a long-term perspective, I haven't lost much faith in Anthony Volpe. So, if if this is the start of him turning into a, a must-star player in fantasy, great. I think it's just too early to say. All right, let's move over to Spencer Torkelson, who went two for three with two walks and a double-dong. He added four RBI and now has seven home runs in the month of June, but that comes with a 194 batting average. I keep saying it. I feel like he's close. I feel like we're almost there with Torkelson. He's just got he's got he he shows like flashes here of something, flashes here. He's just got to put it all together. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. He's got an 11% barrel rate, 51% rostered, six home games next week. Uh, it's got any interest in Spencer Torkelson. You know, the Tigers have the fifth best hitter matchups next week, and I considered him for the 10 sleeper hitters. And I may still put him in. I'm undecided about the the last one of those 10. But it's gonna take a it's gonna take more than three homers in two games, right? That's what he has three homers in two games. Yep. It's gonna take more for me to buy into him figuring it out. Obviously, figuring it out starts with a something like that. But it's two games, so uh, the underlying numbers look good. They've looked good for a long time, and Torkelson hasn't done anything with it. So I'm, from an evaluation standpoint, I'm at the same place with him that I'm at with Kibrian Hayes, where, okay, you've shown you can deliver good data, but there's been so little resulting from it that I need to see it to believe it at this point. I can't just trust in the data. That's where I'm at with Torkelson. Okay, would you take him over any of Josh Bell, Garrett Cooper, Carlos Santana? Those were three names I brought up yesterday as corner infield ads. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty low bar. I think if you're choosing one to start for this upcoming week of those four, I I think Garrett Cooper would be my first choice. But if you're talking about, I want to devote a a roster spot to this guy the rest of the season, I, I probably would just go Torkelson just in case he figures it out. I don't think... 
I don't think you're losing much by forfeiting the others. All right. Well, two names in deeper leagues. Anything here? Drew Waters went two for four with a double and a run scored over his last seven games. He's batting 385 with two homers and two steals. He strikes out a lot. Uh, but he has a very high barrel rate, and he's 90th percentile in sprint speed. That is Drew Waters. And the other name is Joey Wendell, who went two for four with his fourth steal and in the month of June, batting 372 with a homer, three steals, and an 877 OPS. Scott, anything on uh, Drew Waters or Joey Wendell in deeper leagues? I have, I did notice. Let me make sure I noticed it because I wasn't expecting to talk about Drew Waters today. <laughs> Yes, I did notice that he struck out only 22.4% of the time during his very brief time at AAA this year. That's not much, is it? Um, I say that because he's always had ridiculous strikeout rates in the minors, has Drew Waters without the kind of big power numbers he'd need to overcome that. And that short time at AAA this year was the first time he didn't have crazy high strikeout rates. So maybe he's putting it together. He's blown up in the majors now 28 games and his strikeout rate is very high in the majors. So I, I don't think anything's changed for Drew Waters and I'm still going to I'm going to remain skeptical of a guy who's striking out that much and probably isn't going to deliver a big home run total. Uh, but he's, you know, I'm keeping an eye on him. He's only 24 still. People okay. were very high on him not so long ago. Uh, quick thought here. Yesterday, Scott, we told people that they can drop Francisco Alvarez for Henry Davis. Do you agree? Let's find out. Henry Davis, another strong game on Thursday. He went three for four with two RBI. He's now batting 351 with a 901 OPS in his first 10 games. A little bit of power, a little bit of speed. He's hitting the ball hard. If nothing else, it seems like he might offer more consistency than Francisco Alvarez. Scott, what do you think of a move like that in a one catcher league? That's what you guys said yesterday. That's what I missed. Yep. That was the big news. No, I'm fine with it. I- <laughs> The main reason I'm fine with it isn't because I've soured on Francisco Alvarez or I'm totally sold on Henry Davis. The main reason I'm fine with it is Henry Davis has started every single game since he's been called up. He's their regular right fielder. And basically, like if, if you have somebody playing every single day at any position other than catcher, and yet he's eligible at catcher, it, it's hard for him not to be a really good fantasy option. So, yeah, I'll take Henry Davis over Francisco Alvarez is that, at, at this point for that reason. But I still think Alvarez needs to be somebody's catcher in a 12-team one-catcher league. Yeah, so maybe try and move him. It, it's tough because Alvarez has been so bad in the month of June, so I don't think you're going to get much for him right now. But, yeah, if you're just... If Henry Davis is somehow still available, I think he's around 70% rostered. Might be a move that you want to make in a one-catcher league. Let's quickly run through some uh, moves that we made in Dynasty, some trades for Scott and myself. And for context, this is a 24-team head-to-head points Dynasty League with salaries that increase every year once you promote a prospect to your active roster. You probably heard us mention it at some point, the Scott White Dynasty League. It's uh, It's been fun. I think I joined a couple of years ago. And Scott, I mean, you made some pretty massive trades here. The first one, you traded away Miguel Vargas, Mariners catcher prospect Henry uh, Harry Ford, Twins shortstop prospect Brooks Lee, and Rays first base prospect Kyle Manzardo. And in return, you received Mitch Keller, Shane Boz, who is 
the Rays pitching prospect who's out this year with Tommy John surgery, Jose Caballero, and uh, Red Sox shortstop prospect Edinson Polino. So there's yeah. a lot of names going on just, there. But Yeah, basically just Mitch Keller and uh, Shane Boz. The other two don't really matter. Probably not going to have them for very long. <laughs> but those four I gave up are big dynasty assets. Vargas, yeah. you know, it, it's hard. It's hard for I, I think people listening to have an appreciation for this trade because they don't really understand the economy of the league or how scarce starting pitchers are. Uh, but the fact that you know getting Mitch Keller, who's I can keep for five dollars next year in a twenty four team league. You know, I have it, it's so hard to get reliable pitchers, starting pitchers in this league. And a lot of the ones I'd been relying on are pricing themselves out of my ability to keep them. So I felt like I needed to refresh there. Uh, but without getting, I don't know how deep we want to go into this because I could go off on a lot of tangents here, <laughs> but without getting bogged down in the specifics of each player, I, I kind of want to talk about my mindset toward trading and prospects in general. Cause I, I, I think it's shifting and it's just kind of a natural development in me rather than something I've, I've sat down and planned out. I have over the last few years and you've heard me hint of this a lot on the podcast. I've, I've lost faith in my ability to evaluate what direction a prospect's going to go when he gets called up. For so long, it seemed like, and basically most of the history of this dynasty league, it seemed like if you if you invested in a prospect, you were probably going to get a cheap, a good player for cheap. Once he once he got called up, once he was getting every day at bats or taking every fifth turn in the rotation, he was probably going to be good enough in a twenty four team league that it was worth your while to make that investment, knowing he starts out with a really low salary and you're going to be able to keep him a long time. It's getting harder to say that, I've noticed. So I am having a really short leash with these guys. For instance, well, can you you want to go ahead and name the other trade I made? Because I can. Yeah. So the second the second trade you made a much smaller one, but you gave up Vaughn Grissom and Cardinals pitching prospect Gordon Graceffo and uh, Twins pitching prospect Marco Raya, and you received Jack Sawinski and Jonathan Aranda from the Rays. Yeah. So Vaughn Grissom, who I could keep for $2 next year. So, you know, still very cheap to keep in a 2014 league. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't even a full year ago that I was really patting myself on the back for having Vaughn Grissom, you know? And now, less than a year later, I don't know what his future trajectory is. You, you look at what Orlando Arce has done. He's been voted in as the starter for the NL in the all-star game. So like he's the brave shortstop for the foreseeable future. He's under control for two more years. Like he's got that job down. And I, I, I don't know that Vaughn Grissom needs to take it away from him. He has defensive issues. He is hitting for average in the minors. There's been no power in the exit velocity readings, whether you look at AAA or look at the majors, they're just not that good. He is only 22, I believe. So, like just from a pure evaluation standpoint, it's difficult to say, oh, Vaughn Grissom, he's not a great dynasty asset anymore. He 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 could still go on to have a great major league career, but 
because I don't know what the future holds, I kind of felt like I needed to reset the clock. Like that that's the issue with with prospects right now being invested in the dynasty in, in a dynasty league. If they don't deliver right away, how long are you going to are they going to have to occupy a roster spot for you before you move on? And you know, I, I don't want a guy who appears to have great dynasty value in the present for me to then wait and not get a great result at the end. Like he's just losing little dynasty value little by little by little. And because I wanted to be patient, understandably, it takes guys longer to break out these days. I end up getting nothing for that and several sunk years waiting for him to come around, you know? So I'm kind of just of the mindset now in dynasty leagues, you know, have the prospect if if he comes through right away for you, great. You have this long-term asset for sure. If he doesn't come through with you right away, maybe go ahead and reset the clock with him. Spin him off to somebody else. Get somebody you can start over with and hope he comes through rather than waiting a long time for him to come around and, and, and seeing him lose value along the way. I don't know if, if the way I put that makes sense, but that's, yeah. that's kind of where I am with it. And I think it's tough to say because it's not a blanket statement, right? It could be different for different prospects. And we've talked about this time and time again, where it could take these guys, they come up for a year and struggle. Maybe the following year, they kind of figure it out. And we've seen that. I mean, really all throughout history, but I feel, I feel even more so recently. So it's hard. You can't just put a blanket statement on it, but I understand why that might be the route that you are. No. And and, you know, somebody like Vaughn Grissom, the playing time issue was, was part of the calculation there. Yeah. Um, you kind of have but to take it. You the, have to take it case under, by case basis. I think. Yeah, the underlying indicators because you take Brett Beatty, who hasn't really done anything in the majors, even though it was a huge process. Like he hasn't delivered right away. But the underlying metrics are so strong in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball, and like so much looks good there that, you know, I, I'm willing to be a little more patient with that. Even Jonathan Aranda, who was the main piece I acquired in the Vaughn Grissom deal, you know, he spent some time in the majors last year, did absolutely nothing. But you look at what he's doing in the minors right now, hitting about 330, and the exit velocity readings are terrific there, and he walks a lot. And I just feel like I, I feel like that profile is less likely to, to disappoint me. Um, but the same still, like there will come a point where Jonathan Aranda not getting at bats for the Rays because they're the Rays, and you know, before he turns into Vidal Brujan, who a couple years ago was a huge dynasty asset and is now is worthless, that it might be worth spinning him off. Spinning him off too. You just gotta, you know, you, you just gotta have a sense of timing for these things. And I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But that's that's the reason why I ended up moving Vaughn Grissom today. I think I think we're all trying to figure it out, Scott. I mean, trying to <laughs> time dynasty and prospects, it's it's nearly impossible. I, I would venture yeah. to find out. I, I would say even the best dynasty players probably struggle with that exact thing. It's timing up how long to keep a prospect, when to trade a prospect. But uh, yeah, I think you did a good job explaining it. And it, it really is. You got to take it a case by case basis uh, with everyone. The trade that I made, I'll quickly mention, uh, I traded away the aforementioned uh, Brett Beatty. He's still minor league eligible in this league, which does carry a bit of weight. Uh, a $2 Edward Julian and a $1 Jaron Duran. I received a $6 Zach Eflin and a $25 Cattell Marte, who's having yeah. an amazing season. Uh, and as Scott pointed out, it's like 
Zach Eflin might not sound like much, but in a 24 team when he's eligible to be kept for, I think, $9 next year, pitching very well for Tampa Bay. He still has, I think, what, two or three more years on his contract with them. I, I feel pretty good about that, at least for the next couple of years. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it was a great trade. Um, Brett Beatty and Edward Julian were two I was trying to get for you. Probably for a solid month now. I've been trying to get them. I from mean, you. I want to go through the text messages like live on air. Scott texted me, come on, let's figure something out, baby. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, that's another thing. I was complaining on Twitter. Uh, I think it was just last week about how hard it's gotten to make trades and how I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. And this is true. Whether you're talking Dynasty League or certainly redraft leagues, people just by and large seem less eager to trade, less motivated to do it, more suspicious of whatever it is you're trying to do, etc. And I finally came to the realization today, like instead of just sending an offer out there and waiting to see what happens, just just start texting people, you know, like I, I don't want to be that annoying guy. I'm always worried about annoying people. Right. texting them out of blue about fantasy baseball trades is a little different with you because we text all the time anyway but people i never text and i'm just bugging them out of the blue for fantasy <laughs> baseball trade but you know what i got two trades to go down that way so that like that might be the only way at this point that you get you get real trade activity you could have a real quick back and forth and maybe work something out you know both in both of those instances it's not like what i originally threw out there was the offer that that landed we had to go back and forth for a bit um but that's that's uh, that's the approach I think you have to take if you're struggling to to make something happen. Um, I also wanted to point out because um, remind the people what were the four big prospects I gave up in the Mitch Keller trade? It was Miguel Vargas, Harry Ford, Brooks Lee, and Kyle Manzardo. I mean, those are really hot. Those are really high names. end prospects, yeah. and like that that goes back to what I was saying too about not having faith in in uh, the prospects hitting as often or hitting early enough that I'm going to be willing to wait them out. Um, a couple years ago, I couldn't have imagined giving up that kind of prospect haul in a deal. And I got Shane Boz back in, in addition to Mitch Keller. Like I said, starting pitching is scarce in this league, but still that's not a trade I could have imagined making a couple years ago, giving up that kind of prospect capital. But you know, I, I just, I, I, there've just been too many misses within the prospect ranks for me to, to hold, to cling to them so tightly. And hopefully the less, rest of the league follows suit because it's, it's been really difficult to pry prospects away from people over the years. Fair enough. And I know, I love how we started this conversation. Like we don't really want to get bogged down and here we are. We've got like 10 well, minutes left in the podcast. I haven't read yeah. news. We haven't done the preview. It's, uh, you know, Basically prime fantasy baseball today. So that's where we're at. Let's take our final break. When we return, we will read the news. We will talk about our week 15 preview. We will not talk about tough players to rank. We'll do that right after this. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Welcome back, and let's quickly run through the news and notes. Some big news on Thursday. Corbin Carroll was removed after experiencing discomfort in his right shoulder. Manager Tori Lavulo said there is only, quote, minimal concern. But Carroll did have surgery on that shoulder back in 2021. It's at least a little bit scary for me, Scott. I saw that you expressed some of that on Twitter as well. Yeah, I mean, there was the the, the concern was evident immediately um, because of the reaction he had on the swing, and uh, I, I think people were feeling the, fearing the worst since he, you know, missed basically a whole season with that injury a couple years ago, uh, an injury to that shoulder, and the training staff looked at it after the game. They seemed to rule out any significant injury. He was sharing it with the media and there was kind of a quivering in this voice in his voice. Like he wasn't totally, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it. I don't, I don't know Corbin Carroll's, uh, uh, mannerisms or cadence well enough to say for sure, but it seemed like there was kind of a quivering in his voice. Like he didn't quite, he wasn't totally satisfied with the answer he got. Um, but you know, just Taking the training staff at its word, they they ruled out serious injury for the shoulder, which is great news for Corbin Carroll. Doesn't mean he'll avoid an IL stint necessarily. They might just want to give it some rest. But it 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 does sound like uh, hopefully not such a big deal. All right. Shane McClanahan is listed as the Rays' probable pitcher Friday against the Mariners. Carlos Rodon is set to make his next minor league rehab start Saturday, and if all goes well, his first Yankee start could come July 7th at home against the Cubs. Clayton Kershaw acknowledged he's dealing with left shoulder inflammation. He received a cortisone injection and won't throw for the next few days, but the Dodgers aren't placing him on the IL just yet. O'Neill Cruz played catch Thursday from 75 feet. He is currently rehabbing from a fractured fibula, and the hope is that he should be able to return sometime in August. Eduardo Rodriguez threw four and a third scoreless innings in Thursday's rehab outing at AAA. He threw 58 pitches, which that's a pretty good amount. It makes it sound like he could be back pretty soon with the Tigers. Chris Sale was cleared to begin a throwing program after getting encouraging results from an MRI. He's first eligible to return in early August. Riley Green is headed to AAA, where he will begin a rehab assignment in the near future. He's 69% rostered and was starting to catch fire before he got hurt. So if you play in a shallower league and you're desperate for some outfield upside, Riley Green is a name there. uh, Tarek Skubal's next start is expected to be in a Tigers uniform. He had a 123 ERA over 14 and two-thirds innings on his rehab assignment and is 59% rostered. We've told you for a while now, but if you have a roster spot available, please pick up Tarek Skubal because uh, he's been looking really good. Velocity up big time in the minors. Anthony Rizzo left early after getting hit by a pitch on his elbow. X-rays came back negative. Michael Walker threw a bullpen session Thursday. If his body responds well, he should start this weekend in Cincinnati. Chris Bryant will be activated from the IL Friday. He was batting just 263 with five homers in 50 games before the injury. White Sox manager Pedro Griffol said Michael Kopech could have his next turn in the rotation skipped this weekend in an effort to give him an extended break before the second half. The Guardians optioned Logan Allen to AAA on Thursday. He had a 346 ERA, that's the good, but a 144 whip, that is the bad. He's down to 58% rostered. 
And I assume we could drop Logan Allen in redraft league, Scott. Yeah, I would say so. Maybe not all of the deeper 15 teamers, but the average user, you know, he was pretty fringy prior to being demoted. All right. Alex Cobb is set to return Friday and start against the Mets. Seiya Suzuki has missed two straight with tightness in his neck and the Brewers optioned Luis Arias to AAA and recalled Bryce Tarang, who was batting 298 with three homers and two steals in 15 games down in the minors. And if you do play in a deeper league and and you're desperate for a middle infielder, just the name there, Bryce Tarang. Let's get into our week 15 preview here and we will start with the schedule, 14 teams have six games next week. 14 teams have seven games next week. We've got a lot of games. Two teams have five games, the Rockies and the Angels. And speaking of the Rockies, all five of their games next week are on the road. Yuck. All right, let's move into the two-star pitchers. Starters sit these questionable names. Christian Javier, struggling mightily recently. He is at Texas and home against the Mariners. What do we do? Yeah, he's been a contentious player uh, among fantasy baseball analysts recently. I come down long-term on the side of, okay, something clearly isn't right right now, but I, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been that long, and there's enough of a track record that I think he'll figure it out. Having said that, you know, he's getting so few whiffs right now, so few strikeouts, and that's so much his game that I'd rather sit him, but... He happens to have the two-star week, as you pointed out. And uh, so I'm going to lean yes. I'm going to lean yes this one last week. Uh, wish one of the two... Ma- I-, I wish that one matchup at Texas wasn't what it is, but the other one against Seattle's pretty good. So, yeah, I-, I think in most cases I'd start Christian Javier. Kodai Senga at the Diamondbacks and at the Padres. He has been much better at home this season. What do you think? Yeah, and his whip's down below 1.4. Uh, he's been much better at home, you said. Yeah, okay, yeah, two road starts. That's not great. But the whip's down below 1.4, so he's the walks aren't killing him as much as they used to, and he's been getting a lot of strikeouts. That Padres matchup is actually a pretty good one. So I lean yes on him, too. Okay. Uh, Miles Michaelis, we know he's been up and down. He is what he is. He's at the Marlins, at the White Sox. So some pretty solid matchups. Yeah, but... I think three of his last four starts, five earned runs or more. Yeah. Maybe he'll throw a perfect game, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> uh, Drew Smiley at the Brewers and at the Yankees. No. And Kyle Gibson at the Yankees and at the Twins. Not with the way his last two starts have gone. I mean, maybe he'll throw a perfect game, <laughs> but probably not. Is that just going to be the default analysis moving forward? Um, I mean, everything you know is wrong. That's what this season has been with pitching, as I've pointed out before. As we mentioned earlier, with all these teams having seven games next week, that does lead to lots of two-star pitchers. So I see here, Scott, you've got eight names, two-star pitchers that you do like to add and stream for next week. And normally, when I'm lining up sleeper pitchers for next week, I, I'm able to include all the two-star pitchers I'm considering, but there were, uh, gosh, 11. And I, I didn't even include all the 11 in these 10 sleepers, so um, I'll mention the ones I didn't include in a second. But the ones I did include include Brian Bayo, who may or may not be making two starts. It's a little unclear with the, what the Red Sox are doing with the rotation right now, but if he is making two starts, obviously with the kind of run he's on, you have to use him. Really, if he's making one, 
the one might be against Texas, so maybe not, but maybe. Um, Brian Bay is really good and appears to have two matchups. Okay, uh, Gavin Williams coming off a really good second start. It was supposed to be a two-start week this past week, but then they reshuffled their rotation. So now two starts are this upcoming week instead. One against Atlanta, one against the Royals, though. So I, I like Gavin Williams. Gotta, gotta mention Domingo Herman coming off that perfect game, the famous perfect game, one of only 24 in Major League history in the first in 11 years. He's got two starts this week. So, you know, against the Orioles, against the Cubs... This matchups are kind of iffy, but he's, he's making two starts. And you know, I'll, I'll point this out since I wasn't on yesterday's show to talk about Domingo Herman. Uh, I, I don't think he's good. <laughs> and like I said, I dropped him everywhere I had him prior to the perfect game. But three starts ago, his ERA was 349. And after the perfect game, his whip is 105. And he entered the perfect game, entered it with the same swinging strike rate as Shohei Otani. So, like, he does some things well that you could see adding up to a great pitcher. It's just so volatile. But whatever. He's making two starts this week, so I'm inclined to say yes to him. Tariq Skubal coming off a long IL stint. He's been doing some fascinating things on his minor league rehab assignment. The fastball velocity is way up. And the fastball was kind of his Achilles heel last year, so... Um, because he's coming off and making two starts right away, including the first being against the Athletics, kind of, kind of too too intriguing to pass up, I would say. Kyle Hendricks, who we talked about before, he has great matchups this week at Milwaukee and at the Yankees, who are not doing much offensively without Aaron Judge. Dane Dunning coming off his best start of the season. He's at Boston at Washington this week. Martin Perez. If we're doing the pass-fail thing with him like we did for Chris Bassett, a lot more passes than fails lately. He's going against the Astros and at the Nationals. So those are one, the two-star pitchers that are officially in my 10-sleeper pitchers for this week. But I will also mention Julio Tehran against the Cubs and Reds, J.P. Sears at the Tigers and at the Red Sox, and J.P. France against the Rockies, against the Mariners. All right, and in case, for some reason, if you manage to miss out on 11 two-star pitchers, uh, two single-star streamers with good matchups next week, Garrett Whitlock at home against the A's and Emmett Sheehan at home against the Pirates. Let's slide over to the hitters, and best hitter matchups for next week are the Guardians, Yankees, Nationals, Twins, and Tigers. The worst hitter matchups, Angels, Phillies, Rays, Braves, and Royals. Scott, your favorite sleeper hitters? And let's make it a little quicker because we're up against it. I don't like many of them, so I think I can do that. Uh, I mentioned Anthony Volpe before. You could also think about Harrison Bader from the Yankees. I I think TJ Friedel, just because he's still so widely available, about half the CBS Sports Leagues, even though he's batting like 320 with a near 900 OPS and a bunch of steals, it's just... We're, we're severely overlooking TJ Friedel at this point, who also has been starting against left-handers lately, which helps. Jamie J- Jamer Candelario has been hot lately, and you mentioned the Nationals have good matchups, the third best. Uh, and then the only other one I want to mention here is Tommy Pham, who is still just 22% rostered, even though for the month of June, after another two-for-four performance on Thursday... Tommy Pham is hitting 329 with five homers, four steals. 
and an OPS. I'd have to do some quick math here, but it looks like about 960 is the OPS in June. And he's been playing every day since he's been playing so well. So I think Tommy Pham, with the Mets having pretty good matchups, is someone you should look into. All right, and where should we use Otani next week? I mean, you know the answer. With what this guy is doing right now, I think it's now 14 home runs in the month of June for Shohei Otani. He had another one on Thursday. He's up to 29 homers. Uh, uh, Otani has, let's see, five games next week. They're all on the road. Looks like he's on pace to face the Padres, but... I think you just got to use him as a hitter right now, the way he's playing. It's the worst hitter matchups by far, and one of only two teams with with five games. Yeah. And his one start would be against the Padres, which is a pretty favorable matchup. So I think you could start him as a pitcher if 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 you need help there more. But I, I get what you're saying. He's obviously been crazy hot as a hitter. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up here, Scott. Two quick leftovers, just... Two frustrating pitchers. Obviously, the Brandon Fott thing, he hasn't been around all season. Look, he got crushed again. His return to the rotation, I get it's a tough matchup, up against Tampa Bay. Two-plus innings, he allowed six runs. The ERA now stands at 9.82 on the season. He changed up the pitch mix a little bit. It didn't matter. He gave up a lot of hard contact. I watched some of the start. He's got good stuff. It's just he can't locate his pitches. He leaves them in really bad spots in the middle of the zone. He winds up getting crushed. It's looking pretty bad for Brendan Fott. And uh, Lance Lynn, another clunker. It, he's so annoying, Scott, because I say clunker. He had 24 swinging strikes. I mean, normally any pitcher, we'd be so excited about, wow, 24 swinging strikes. And he had a 17 strikeout performance recently. He still gave up five runs. He's got a 6.47 ERA. He's yeah. super frustrating. Any thoughts on Lance Lynn and Brendan Fott? Well, Lance Lynn is still an exception to the idea that, you know, we're at the halfway point of the season and I'm just I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm tired of this guy. I'm still not tired of Lance Lynn. Oh, I'm I'm there. I have the fatigue, Scott. I'm I'm tired of it. I mean, he had probably the best start with apologies to Domingo Herman's perfect game, which was historic. I would still say Lance Lynn had the most impressive start of any pitcher this year. Nah. Right, that 16 strikeout effort. Nah. Am I forgetting one? I, I mean, I think you got to give it to the perfect game. No. No. Mm. Mm. Agree to disagree. And okay. Your, your thoughts. Your um, thoughts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still holding on Lance Lynn, though, obviously. I mean, if it's a 2014 <laughs> league, you're starting him. But other than that, probably not. Um, and then Fought. I don't know that I agree his stuff is all that great. The fastball looks pretty bad. And he has changed up his pitch mix, but not in the way I wanted to see. Like, I, I think he really needs to lean on his slider and change up a lot. And he he's still mostly fastball. It's just now instead of throwing 65% fastballs, he's throwing 50% fastballs and 15% sinkers. Broke out a sinker we didn't see from him before. So he's still basically going 65% fastballs, just a different kind of fastball. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the path to success for Fott. Uh, I'm not giving up on him in Dynasty, but um, my confidence is definitely shaken, and I'm not really counting on him for them for much the rest of this year. Let's get into some bullpens real quick. For the Pirates, David Bednar got the final four outs for his 16th save. 
For the Tigers, Alex Lang entered in the ninth with a five-run lead. He gave up two runs in that outing, and it looks like he might finish June with an 11.57 ERA and a 225 whip. I still think we could see Jason Foley in that role at some point for the Tigers. For the Marlins, A.J. Puck struck out two for his 13th save. For the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano gave up a run, but picked up his 24th save, which uh, tied Emmanuel Class A for the league lead. For the Brewers, Devin Williams made things interesting, but escaped with his 16th save. And for the Phillies, Craig Kimbrell struck out one for his 12th save of the season. To stream or not to stream, Scotty, we'll start with Friday. And scrolling up and down the list here, who did we say yesterday? Uh, we didn't really love this. I think I said Griffin Canning versus the D-backs, Seth Lugo at the Reds, and Josiah Gray at the Phillies, but not with much conviction. Yeah, those are probably the best three, but I, I'm not confident in any of them. On Saturday... I think Kyle Bradish versus the Twins is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johan Oviedo versus the Brewers is okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Better than any of Friday's choices. Yeah, I mean... Brewers are bad offensively. I thought about Flaherty versus the Yankees because they're so inept right now, but he's he's also been really bad, so I don't think I could do it. Agreed. All right, on Sunday... Uh, Garrett Whitlock, tough at the Blue Jays. He's kind of been up and down recently. You know, it's a tough-ish matchup. Uh, Aaron Savali at the Cubs is okay. Paul Blackburn versus the White Sox is also okay. No, I don't love any, Scott. Well, neither do I. I don't love this one either, but I will point out Rich Hill is going against the Brewers, who I mentioned are bad offensively, and especially against left-handers. They're the worst lineup against left-handers. Rich Hill is a left-hander. He's had some decent starts this year. You know, the streaming pitcher segment isn't really my thing, so it's it's not a loud endorsement, but I will mention <laughs> Rich Hill on Sunday as a possibility. All right. Well, Scott, you did it. First half of the season in the books. How you feeling? Feeling tired. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest. Hey, you know. Well-timed vacation for me. We love it. We love doing it, but it's it's a long season, man. The grind does not stop. Baseball every single day. Uh, so you got to keep up. There's a lot to uh, lot to keep up with. But yeah, you did a great job. First half of the season. And, and obviously, we've got another week of content coming next week before we get to the All-Star break. But we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!